There are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can absolutely light up your funnels. Let's go. This is the Revenue Driven CMO. I'm your host, Chris Mechanic. Join me as I uncover the secrets of the world's most elite CMOs marketing leaders. The Revenue Driven CMO is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Revenue Driven CMO. I'm super excited uh, for today's guest. They're an award-winning B2B SaaS marketing leader, uh, an advocate for diversity and inclusion, extremely passionate about pay equity and the intersection of ethics and technology. Uh, and was recently appointed as chief marketing officer at HiBob, uh, which is a really fast-growing uh, HR software uh, company that's really taken the market by storm. So I'm super excited to jump in. So everyone, welcome to the show, Sarah Reynolds. Nice to have you, Sarah. Hi, Chris. Nice to be here. Super excited uh, to be talking with you. I am admittedly uh, and I think a lot of people fall into this camp, but I'm admittedly like not very, I don't consider myself to be very good, like in terms of using very inclusive language, you know, like mm. I typically I'm like, I say, dude, or I say, Hey, <laughs> you know, like things like that. Um, but I really love that you are open about it. You're cool with talking about it. Like you're teaching me stuff. And, and so I'm learning in that regard. One of the things that's, I think, important for people is they think that it is intimidating. Like if you mess up, then it has to be like a big deal. Um, one of the things I think it's important to practice is if you say she and you just correct yourself and say they and continue to move on, it's actually like setting the right example for your audience. Perfect. So it doesn't, doesn't offend me if you want to keep going if that happens. And I know that you're a badass marketer. And uh, so as we do every show, let's start off. If you could just tell the audience uh, one of your best kept secrets to marketing success. Sure. So um, for for sort of an introduction to me, which will help explain my secret. Uh, my yeah. name is Sarah. My pronouns are they and them. And along with being a badass marketer, I am a uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging advocate. I identify as non-binary and trans. And so these topics are really important to be not just personally and professionally. So I want to tell you my secret, which is maybe not so much a secret, um, but maybe something that we can all work on being better at. Uh, and that is that inclusive marketing is smart marketing and inclusive marketing widens your audience and it makes yeah. it so that your brand or your product appeals to more of the people who have the buying power to be able to make purchase decisions. Your yeah. audience is becoming more and more diverse than ever before. If you think about the number of generations in the workplace, you think about the types of people in the workplace, you think about all of the great work that many of us have been doing to make our workplaces more inclusive, uh, more safe for people of all different identities, backgrounds, lived experiences, professional experiences to come and be their authentic self at work. Um, I think you can probably imagine why it's important that your, uh, your marketing reaches the widest audience possible. And in fact, yeah. when I communicate with folks in the executive suite uh, or folks who don't maybe think about inclusive marketing or don't think about accessible marketing all day long the way that I do, I often frame it in those terms. I talk about it as audience widening tactics as opposed yeah. to just um, you know inclusivity or accessibility concerns that we have about our marketing. Because I think that 
for folks who don't think about these topics all day, every day, they can really understand the the benefit of something that widens their audience uh, or makes their product more appealing to more people uh, versus feeling a little bit, you know, maybe confused or not familiar with um, something like inclusive marketing or accessible marketing um, or the terms that we use to talk about, you know, the, the activities they're in. So I would say my secret is maybe... You know, it's it's not just that inclusive marketing is smart marketing, but it's also in the way that you approach the topic with, you know, the folks outside of your uh, marketing organization that'll help you really sell that through and will help you, um, you know, make progress on your own marketing priorities uh, in a way that is really representing your company to the best of your ability. Yeah. And I think that that's brilliant. And I'm going to be honest, like, well, there's a spectrum of... uh, how people think about inclusivity and marketing. It goes from, you know, all in understands the value, like naturally inclusive and diverse, uh, maybe because of principle, but also maybe because it works better by widening the audience. So like there's that side of the camp. Then the other side of the camp is like, basically, I don't care, you know, what, what does it matter to me? Like, I just want my ads to work, uh, type of thing. I was probably in the middle, like before meeting you, I was probably in the middle of that somewhere, maybe even veering toward the left um, and willing to, to be inclusive, but uh, doing it, you know, basically to be a good person, not necessarily to be, uh, to have better ads and better messages. Uh, but after speaking with you yesterday, I'm now way far over on this side. Like yes. I totally agree with that. Like just, <laughs> just the filter that you have on your zoom profile. Like when we shared on LinkedIn, we were talking about like, it's going to attract people to watch an episode of this podcast that would have probably not watched it before. Yeah, so, um, absolutely. That and I've- for me was powerful. Thank you. And and we're recording this um, for the audience uh, who's maybe watching it back later during Pride Month. So I have a, a rainbow filter on my Zoom. Uh, like many companies, uh, Zoom enables me to demonstrate my pride and uh, my pride in being my authentic self uh, on this call and in the way that I um, sort of publicly uh, show my face to the world, which I'm super, super grateful for. Uh, pride, of course, is not just about one month of the year, but about you know, all 365 days of the year. And what I would say, Chris, is, um, you know, when you think about sort of where do marketers fall in, you know, topics surrounding inclusivity and accessibility, I think it's interesting when you start talking to especially digital marketing practitioners about these topics, because um, sometimes, again, it's about the language that you use. So to go back to the previous point that um, sometimes audience widening is an easier way of talking about these topics, um, many of the topics, especially around accessibility on the web, um, your uh, SEO experts in-house or in the agencies that you work with will be very familiar with these topics not because they're necessarily looking at them from an accessibility perspective, but because they're looking at them from an SEO perspective. So if you want your content to rank, you need things like um, alt text on images. You need things like your um, heading tags, your H1, your H2, your H3 to be tagged correctly so that the search engine can crawl your website and it can ultimately understand the content that you're presenting back to it. And it can ultimately make a decision about how well that content ranks for any particular keyword. What's really interesting is that people who consume web content through screen readers or through other um, assistive devices, they actually experience the content on your website 
more like similarly to that that search algorithm that is crawling your site to be able yeah. to tell Google how the content on your site is organized. So actually, many of the things that we do all day, every day, and we think about all day, every day as SEO best practices on our site are also things that make our sites more accessible to people with um, visual or cognitive impairments that require them to use assistive devices. And I think that that's a beautiful thing because it's like the idea that you know uh, inclusive marketing also widens your audience. It's like it's two things that that naturally get paired together. It's two things that it's two benefits that you can get out of taking one action in marketing. Interesting. Yes. So I'm very familiar with accessibility. We do a lot of um, work specifically. Like we have clients come to us sometimes uh, that may not be SEO clients, but they just need their site to be compliant with WCAG or uh, ADA or the other um, things. But I never, I mean, so you're passionate about inclusivity for all. It's not just a gender inclusivity. You're also thinking about the hearing impaired, the visually impaired. Um, so that's brilliant. And yes, ex- good accessibility is generally good SEO and is generally also good marketing. Like color contrast is a big thing. Yes. Which, or all caps yeah. text. Uh, Hi Bob, part of Hi Bob's brand styling. I'm very lucky that my brand and, and corporate marketers have thought a lot about how to make our brand represent inclusivity and represent the beautiful textured world around us. So, um, to give you some examples of things we do really well, uh, all of our shapes are like if we have a circle, it's not a perfect circle. It's meant to represent that all of us in the world are imperfect um, and that the world is you know beautiful and diverse and and messy, uh, just yeah. like you know the the brand sort of shapes represent that that uh visually we also um we have what i call our little like bobbers our little cartoon figures on our website as part of our brand styling and uh, those are all different colors they're all different shapes they're all different um abilities represented in even our cartoon uh figures um but you know we also use all caps as part of our brand um styling for headlines and all caps is difficult not just for the visually impaired to read or process, but also for people who have things like dyslexia, or also just generally people people in the world to read because all caps is um, like all of the letters are the same height. And so the word is much more similarly shaped than the words that would be uh, in sentence case. And so, you know, one of the things that I talk about is inclusion and accessibility and thinking about intersectionality, which is all of those different ways that we can be more inclusive. Um, those things, it's, it's not a destination. It's a journey. And all of us, even those of us who are DEIB practitioners and advocates are on a journey to make our language more inclusive, to make our websites more accessible, to make our brand standards more inclusive, to, you know, focus on, you know, how we can remove, you know, gendered or ableist language from our vocabulary. It's a, it's a journey. It's not a destination. That's awesome too. Yeah. uh, I'm on the site right now. I guess the, the, listeners won't be able to see it, but I'm noticing all those things that you said. I love the imperfect shapes. Uh, I think that's just really cool. So hi, Bob is like at its core, like they're very far over on to that side. Like they're really deeply uh, inclusive, like at the brand level. Absolutely. It's part of our DNA. Uh, My chief people officer likes to say that 
uh, we're an HR company and we need to drink our own Merlot when it comes to HR and DEI and B best practices, because, you know, we should be the, the case study for folks of how they can make their, you know, organizations more inclusive, they can modernize their people practices, they can, you know, leverage technology to make their HR teams more efficient or to make their managers more efficient or to create better career paths for their employees and better conversations and better connections internally. Um, yeah. And I really think that we should live that, you know, not just as a as an HR uh, sort of goal, but also as a goal in, you know, the way that our product represents the community and the way that our marketing represents the community that we serve. Brilliant. Well, I want to talk a lot more about Hi Bob here in a second. Um, thank you, Sarah. You're educating me. Like I'm learning a lot during this uh, process, and I appreciate your patience with me. Um, yesterday, you, you you'd kind of had a two part secret. I wonder if we could talk about the other side of that um, secret. So the first part of your secret was essentially like, "Hey, uh, diverse and inclusive marketing is not just the right thing to do. It can actually be make your ads more effective and make your programs more profitable and so on. Yeah. Um, which is, I think, a revelation for a lot of people. Uh, tell us about the other part of your secret, like the more personal uh, part. Sure. So um, in my introduction, I told you that uh, I use they, them pronouns, and I identify as uh, non-binary and trans and queer. Uh, I'm, I'm hitting a lot of the, the rainbow flag uh, uh, list this, uh, this month. Um, I'm very proud of my identity, but that hasn't always been the case. I haven't always brought my full authentic self with me to work every single day. Um, and uh, for a very long time, uh, uh, to take my pronouns as an example, um, for a very long time, if you would to, were to meet me uh, and we were to know each other really well or work closely together, um, I would share with you that I was non-binary. But my email signature would tell you that my pronouns were she and they or they and she. Um, and uh, when asked, I would tell people that I, quote unquote, preferred uh, they, them pronouns. And that's actually what I used in my personal life uh, exclusively. Um, but I understood that, you know, the, the world is changing. Not everyone knows me that well. Um, and I also thought, uh, in, in this case, mistakenly, but at the time, I thought that by asking people to use they, them pronouns for me, that it would distract them from how badass I am at marketing, from um, the ideas I was sharing with them in a meeting, or um, for, even from like the content of my character. And I didn't want to do that. I was really focused on growing my career and I wanted to be taken quote unquote seriously, uh, like all of us do. Uh, and I thought that my pronouns would be a distraction. So for a very long time, I had different pronouns in my personal life than I did at work. Um, and it took actually a really negative experience with me where I asked someone to use my my they them pronouns who I was about to work with more closely, um, and they they uh, they laughed at me. Actually, it was a it was a really difficult uh, and challenging interaction, and and they said they didn't view the world that way, and um, you know they they weren't going to do that. And you know I I I said that I could be a she or a they, and so I was going to be a she to them forever. Um, that 
that was really hard. And it made me realize that the language that I was using in describing my they, them pronouns as a preference, as opposed to the pronouns that I use, was actually, um, it was communicating to people that it was optional when I would uh, ask them to change uh, the pronouns that they used for me. Uh, I went through a long process of, um, you know, officially uh, transitioning my pronouns at work. And I'm so grateful to the HR and the DEI and B teams at a previous company who were supportive through that process. Um, but it, it was really challenging. But what I learned, like going through all of that rigmarole was that, um, Actually, when you um, when you are your full authentic self at work, um, you spend a lot less uh, time and mental effort thinking about um, who you are showing to the world and who you're trying to hide or or what you're trying to hide. Um, and instead of spending time and and brain space thinking about self censure and like all kinds of you know ugly topics and and worrying about what people would think when you know I I finally did you know have the conversation with them um, I sort of freed up all of that brain space to think about things like marketing and uh, doing my damn job and yeah. uh, being being even better at what I was doing and being even better as a leader and as someone who was trying to create that safe space for other employees to feel the same. It freed up a lot of my, my, um, like it reduced my cognitive load for, for uh, lack of a better way of thinking about it. And suddenly, um, all of that brain space was available for me to be better at the things that I really cared about and to be more present in my life and in my work. Um, that was a huge win for me. Uh, and it, it meant, um, you know, it meant the world to me to be able to make that, that transition. And, uh, I think for all of you listening at home, you know, I think that, that bringing your authentic self to work can be, um, not just freeing, like it, it cannot just lift a weight from your shoulders, but it can also make you better at your job genuinely. Yeah. I mean, I totally believe that because if you think about flow state, like when you're in that really creative yeah. mode where hours just fly by like minutes and you're like getting a lot of amazing work done, you can't experience that if you're, if you're preoccupied with something or worried about something, you have to be completely unworried about something. Yep. Um, and that story resonated with me when you said it, when you told me yesterday, just because I, I mean, I can't even imagine how many people are in the situation that you were uh, previously, or even that are just like, you know, saying that their pronouns are she, her, when really like there's probably, there's, I guess, a spectrum of being out, right? There's like yep. people that are totally out. And then it sounds like you were kind of partially, but then what about the people that are just like, to, like not even there. So what advice would you give to people that are like, you know, either where you were um, previously, where you were presenting it as optional or even uh, earlier than that in their journey? Like what advice would you give them? Yeah. So um, I saw some data from uh, McKinsey a while ago that said that 68% of trans and non-binary employees don't feel comfortable being fully out at work. Uh, and they cite concerns about things like their physical safety and harassment, but also about discrimination in hiring and promotional practices. Um, and then it's something like 86% of them say that they have never seen leaders who look or seem like them. And I can tell you that when I was coming up in the, in the workplace and coming up in tech, it was hard enough to find someone who is them presenting in a room 
uh, full of masculine presenting executives oftentimes, uh, never mind, uh, you know, finding someone who identified as non-binary or trans. I've been very, very lucky uh, since then to meet, you know, some uh, beautiful, uh, vibrant members of the LGBTQIA plus community, including non-binary and trans leaders. Um, but it wasn't my experience. And, and I certainly never saw leaders who looked and seemed like me until I went and sought them out in other organizations or in other, um, you know, professional groups. So I would say, um, you know, if I have any advice for people who are members of one of one of those groups who feel like they can't be out at work or that they don't see people who look or seem like them in the workplace, I would say, first of all, um, make decisions uh, first based on your own emotional and physical safety. I enjoy the genuine privilege of living outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, I enjoy the genuine privilege of having a C-suite title. Uh, I enjoy privileges that not everyone has access to that help protect me from, uh, you know, concerns about my physical safety or about harassment. But as I shared with you, Chris, when we were talking about, you know, the promotions for this episode, uh, being my authentic self online in 2023 uh, means that occasionally I get death threats and occasionally I get trolls in my mentions who call me an it uh, or who tell me that I should no longer be alive. And that is heartbreaking. Um, so what I would tell people first is make a decision about your you know, emotional and physical safety in coming out. And no one will ever hold that decision against you if you choose to remain uh, in, in the closet, so to speak, uh, at work or in the closet in your life in general because of those concerns. Uh, that's really important for me to, to communicate. I think the second thing for me to communicate is that um, I... I uh, I believe that it is worth it for me to uh, to be that visible leader that I never had, so that the people who are coming up behind me have an example that they can look at, and so that that eighty six percent number goes way way down, at least in the people who have the opportunity to meet me or to listen to me speak or to see me uh, on stage somewhere. If I can change that experience that I had for even just one other person, then all of the negative experiences that I've had in the workplace or in my life or in the sphere of the like gross online environment that uh, can come out when you talk about, you know, trans and non-binary issues uh, on the internet, all of that will be worth it if I can change it for just one other person. And I am constantly reminded of how valuable this is when, you know, I, I appear on a podcast or I appear on stage at an event and I talk about my identity and someone comes up to me afterward and says, wow, I, I've never met a non-binary person before, or I've never seen someone who looks like me up on stage giving a keynote. Uh, that to me makes it all worth it. Yeah. No, that, uh, that was really good advice. And I was completely heartbroken yesterday when you told me about that. It's like, it's like, chill out people, you know? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, what do you care? You know? Right. Um, so if anybody from this pod sends Sarah a death threat, you are on my shit list and I'm going to, I'm <laughs> going to DDoS your site. Your site is going <laughs> down, bro. <laughs> um, cool. Well, uh, that was really awesome. Thank you for that. Let's talk about Hi Bob. Sure. Let's let's talk marketing a little bit. Uh, start off with the story of how you arrived there. I know that uh, I think you were just at a conference and you saw you saw them like you saw their booth and you were just drawn in. Talk yeah. to me about uh, sort of how you found them and how your first few months have been going. 
Yeah. Um, so I, I grew up in the HR tech market. Um, you know, like many people, I, I grew up in one industry and career pivoted away and, and ultimately learned that I wanted to be back in it. Um, I love the people uh, whose business is people, which means I love our customers because they think every day about how to make their people successful. And uh, obviously, I care deeply about people and uh, it's it's work that really resonates with me. Um, so I have been in this market a long time. Uh, if you are familiar with the HR technology market at all, uh, you know that there are lots and lots of competitors for Mind and Wallet Share, which means that when you go to a conference like uh, HR Tech in Las Vegas, uh, you uh, you see a sea of uh, HR technology booths, and it's really difficult uh, to stand out. And you know this isn't unique to the HR tech industry. Many many industries have tons and tons of new entrants all the time. Yeah. Uh, they have tons of competitors who who all seem very samey samey, uh, or they they have you know like point solutions and all in ones and full suites and you know this yeah. this crowded marketplace, right? So I think many of you probably listening have experienced this to some degree. Yeah. Uh, the the HR market is like that and HR trade shows are like that. Um, and I actually, uh, I met Bob um, because I was walking around uh, the trade show that I was attending on behalf of another company. And um, there was outside of the exhibit hall, like in the long hallway between the exhibit hall and all of the um, breakout rooms and uh, the keynote stages, there was this big pink box, uh, this cherry syrup color pink, actually, that we use at Hi Bob. Um, and this big pink box had a line coming out of both sides of it. And I walked by it probably twice because I was like, what in the heck is that? Um, if Again, if you go to trade shows a lot, you know that people don't really wait in line for stuff. And I definitely do not wait in line for stuff. I am a very bad prospect because I am a marketer. Uh, I have very high expectations and I, I'm I'm very bad, like never BDR me uh, Don't because I don't pick up the phone. I don't return emails. Like I'm, I'm hard to get a hold of as a, as a prospect that you're trying to sell to. Um, and I'm, I'm, I can be hard to impress as my, my team will tell you. Um, yeah. but this, uh, this big pink box with this big line coming out of both sides of it impressed me. And I walked by, uh, and what I noticed was that they had, um, they had these screens that were facing the, the lines and they were actually doing professional headshots. Um, and they were doing it to serve the HR community. If you've ever tried to get a professional headshot and your company's not organizing it, first of all, they're like a pain in the ass. And they're hard to get a good one. And if you're, again, if your company's not paying for it, they can be really expensive to get. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the, the Hi Bob team had decided to, um, you know, sort of engage the HR community and offer them this great service. Um, and the photographers were doing a really nice job. Like you would see the normal looking people walk in on one side from the line, and then you would see their headshot pop up. And it was like, oh my God, make me look as beautiful as those people. I am so vain. I please, like, I, I want to be beautiful. Um, yeah. So I, I waited in line for uh, 30, 45 minutes. And I can remember texting my husband from the line and being like, I don't know who these people are. I don't know who these marketers are, but I am so impressed because I would never queue for anything at a trade show. Fast yeah. forward, you know, fast forward many, many months. Uh, I got a call from a recruiter who was talking to me about an opportunity. And when she shared that it was with Hi Bob, uh, I said, oh my God, they're pink. 
because I had such an amazing time learning about Hi Bob while I was waiting in line. Uh, and I had such an amazing experience with them at the trade show that I knew immediately that if nothing else, I wanted to meet the team. Uh, and I actually, I found the notebook that I was telling you about. Um, the first time I went to the Hi Bob offices uh, for folks on the Zoom, I'm, I'm showing a, a printed picture of the headshot that I got done. You can see the digital version on my LinkedIn. Um, yeah. But I actually, I had these like just kicking around in this notebook. And I, I was like, this is where I met you in this, you know, this campaign for marketing, if nothing else, it, it got you a new CMO. So uh, I think that, you know, it was a, it was a really big impact. Uh, was it perfect again about the journey and not the destination? Was it perfect? No. Did anyone call me afterward? No. Do we have the opportunity to do better this year? Absolutely. Um, but I think yeah. that, you know, it was such a, a great reminder of like how amazing creative marketing can be and how um, even in the most crowded settings, you can make an impact even with a brand that doesn't have the best brand recognition in the US market um, or even, you know, represents a brand that I personally had never heard of before. Yeah, that's brilliant. Watch, you'll go to that event this year and there'll be like 80 pink boxes with like nobody in line for any of them. <laughs> and I'll be like, God damn it. <laughs> um, no, that's a really cool story. And uh, and so eventually they called you or you called them and they said, hey, we need a new CMO. And you said, okay, cool, let's do it. Yeah, when the when the recruiter called me, uh, I said, not only do I know who they are, but I know that they're pink. And you know, um, a recruiter. If you've ever worked in recruiting, um, or you know, if you've ever marketed a brand with low brand awareness in specific geos, you know how um, most of your first conversations are like, "What is it? You know, who are they? What do they do?" Uh, the the recruiter who has since become my my close friend uh, said. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can't believe, like, why do you know that? How do you know that? Like most, most people don't know who this is and, and you're coming and you're saying, not only do I know who it is, but I want to meet them. Like, I'm so excited. Oh, um, so it was unrelated. It was just the recruiter happened to call you not yeah, knowing that you had had that experience. Complete. Yeah. Completely separate. Um, so it was really serendipitous, uh, like I said, and, and, um, you know, I, I have had the opportunity to get to know the team who, uh, who created that amazing experience and they are just as, uh, creative and engaging and bright and, uh, you know, uh, exciting as that experience was for me when I, uh, when I got to, to sort of see it in Las Vegas, uh, the team does an amazing job. Uh, in putting together those uh, those brand activations and those opportunities for us to connect with our market and honestly to give back to our market because again if you've ever worked in HR um, especially during a time when like the economy is doing whatever the economy is doing right now um, you know how hard it is like for HR to to um, you know to maintain their own sort of like. Uh, levels of engagement and to prevent burnout of HR teams who are asked to do more with less every single day or who are asked to do things like, you know, manage like huge swings in, in recruiting tons of talent or unfortunately needing to do a reduction in force or, you know, needing to, to manage, you know, um, performance cycles and changing expectations from employees and, you know, HR, um, the, the box here, uh, is actually a direct mail piece where where we described HR as a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And I think that that's very true of many of our uh, HR customers' experience. And I think if we can do anything to give back to the HR market uh, and to make something, you know, as 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 silly, but as meaningful as, as headshots, easier to get and easier to get a great one, then hell yeah, let's do it. That's awesome. And there must be something special about Bob. I know you just raised a massive round, your Series D. Um, 
congratulations on that. Thank you. Uh, and like you said, I know that it is a very crowded market. Like we're solicited constantly by, you know, the workables and the, uh, a lot of other players in the market. Um, what is it about? Like what, what's the, uh, what's all the buzz about, I guess, like, how are you so successful in such a crowded market? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so many of the uh, HR platforms or, or HRIS platforms specifically, those systems of record for your employee data, uh, most of those were designed before you and I were born, uh, and they haven't evolved much since. And I think that um, if anything, you know, we all know uh, as marketers that employee expectations around technology have changed since then, and yeah. uh, you know, in in general, our expectations for technology have changed. Uh, it's one thing to be a system of record for employee data. It's another thing to be something that is flexible and configurable and easy to use and um, like really puts the, the employee experience at the fore. So um, I think the best way of thinking about Bob is it's a modern HR platform for the companies who really care about their people, the companies who are you know global in nature, the companies who um, want that flexibility, who know that like change is the new normal and want the flexibility to be able to adapt to change as it comes, and who mm-hmm. really want to make sure that their employees have a great experience in their company culture and that they have a culture of you know diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. That they have a culture of employee recognition. That they have a culture of transparency and trust. Uh, and you know that they're creating a great place to work. And so for us, it's not just about being a you know beep boop beep like system of record for employee data. It's more about being a system that your employees really want to use, uh, and a system that really engages them and enables them to make connections with their peers, with their managers, with your HR department, uh, and with uh, other employees at all levels. Awesome. Yeah, I'm on the site right now. It looks like there are some some features and functions of the product itself that uh, you don't see uh, with a lot of these other players, like people analytics jumps out, uh, onboarding, workforce planning sounds like a cool feature. Yeah, absolutely. If you've ever wanted to uh, automate your onboarding, if you've ever wanted to make performance management less painful, if you've ever wanted to make smarter compensation decisions that prioritize, you know, not just market competitiveness, but also pay equity in your organization. If you've ever wanted to think about, you know, how do we do better workforce planning? How do we do better scenario planning? Like, what if the stock market goes up? What if the stock market goes down? Most people like don't build a three-year plan and just stick to it anymore. So you, you as an HR professional uh, and you as a, a people leader, you you want to be integrated in those conversations about what do we do if scenarios happen? And you know, workforce planning is a, a great way of thinking about some of those things. But you know, there's lots of different features in Bob that that I love. I love. Um, our front page is is almost like a social media feed. Uh, you get kudos, you get company shout outs, you get announcements, um, and you can really recognize the employees in your business for doing a great job. And I think that um, so so often nowadays that recognition gets like lost. Um, and I think that it's really, really meaningful for, uh, for employees to feel like they're seen and, and feel like they're valued. Um, and I think it's a great way of uh, making that really um, sort of like open and, and starting a conversation with your organization. Yeah. Who's it best for? Are are there certain types of clients? Like, is it mostly for a large enterprise? Yeah, we, um, 
We probably describe our ideal customer as um, being a member of the 3M club. So uh, you're modern, you um, you care about your people, you, you have an emphasis on company culture, uh, and uh, you really have that sort of like people first approach to business. Um, you are mid-size, which for us means you're probably between 100 and 5,000 employees. And uh, you are multinational. So um, HiBob is global by by design. Um, we were purpose built to be global and to be flexible, um, sort of from our our outset. And um, for us, you know, with companies looking to manage uh, workforces that are increasingly global around the world, uh, especially with the rise of things like remote work, it's really important that you offer your employees, regardless of where they're located, a really consistent experience, not just of, you know, your company culture or of your management or of your key company values, but also of the technology that they use. And so Bob is a great solution for those folks who maybe fit that definition of that, that 3M club. Mm, that's really interesting. Yeah, I know that uh, ever since the pandemic, I mean, we were mostly like 98% here in Baltimore, DC area where we're headquartered. Since then, people have just dispersed. Uh, and it's it's kind of a, it's like a, a talent bonanza in a way, because now, like it used to be that we had to hire here locally. Mm-hmm. Now we have people in 26 different states, uh, but there's a lot of great talent abroad, a lot of mm-hmm. great talent abroad abroad like places like poland israel has there's some amazing marketers in israel i know you guys are israeli um even even far uh far east there's some really really good talent and the the economics of course are much different like the cost of living is you know way different so um i might check that out you might we're we're not quite multinational yet i would like to go multinational but we might you, you might want to future multinational just a deal <laughs> <laughs> we're like mmfm <laughs> <laughs> um cool well uh one thing that i know i, I want to be cognizant of your time here i have a lot of other questions for you i uh but i don't want to like cuz i know you're like relatively new there right so i don't yeah. want to like you know ask too many questions um one question that I have, though, is uh, like a lot of times that we've had guests actually that their topic was like first 90 days as a CMO, what do you do? Mm-hmm. So you're kind of, you know, going through that to an extent. So I'd be interested to hear your take on that. Like, like, how do you, because you're not a small company. I mean, you've got, I think, seven or 800 employees. Mm-hmm. So you've got a, you've got a team. How do you enter into that uh, and set yourself up for success in the, in the early stages? Yeah. Um, So I'm a people person, as you can probably tell. uh, And uh, I like to meet people uh, and I like to ask them, you know, no bullshit. uh, What do you think about our marketing? Good, bad, ugly. You know, where where can we um, where can we impact your business better? And, And genuinely, I ask people like, how can a CMO help you? Uh, and I think what I've learned from doing that is that, um, you know, and, and learn from working with, you know, folks across the go-to-market teams or across businesses more broadly is that sometimes the best marketing ideas come from outside of marketing. Um, and I love when people want to come and play in our sandbox and, and offer me, you know, their sort of perspective on, on what they see, because oftentimes it's different than mine. Um, and I think that that's really, really valuable that you come in and you sort of understand, you know, what is the, what's the general tone and tenor of, you know, folks experience with the marketing organization, not just the experience 
of like, you know, are we meeting a number, but also the experience of the team and, you know, the team's experience of the each other or of previous leadership um, or of, you know, their own company culture. Um, I will tell you, you know, at Hi Bob, you know, not only is my job to think about pipeline and, and think about how to build an engine that's going to fuel our future success, but it's also to think about culture and it's to think about how do we make sure that every team at Hi Bob is representing the company values that we really believe in. Um, yeah. I used to tell my teams that like company values aren't just pretty words on a slide that like your HR department sends out once a year and then you forget about um, yeah. company values. You know, either you live your company values or they're not really your values. You know what I mean? So yeah. um, I when I was when I was chatting with the Hi Bob team, it was really clear that our company values permeate throughout the organization and it's part of our DNA and and part of what makes us successful. They even like to say that company values aren't just words on a poster. So we have that in common as well. And so I think that, you know, understanding the values of your team, understanding the values of, of the company and understanding, you know, what you need to do to make sure that your, your team is the best and brightest example of, you know, a strong, uh, a high performing team, but also a team that just really represents, you know, what do we, what do we want the company to feel like? And, and how do we want, you know, to create an environment where people want to bring their authentic self to work, where they want to do their best work with us? Um, I think that that's really important too. And so, I think about, you know, myself, not just as a marketer or as a leader, but also as someone who is, you know, trying to create the right kind of culture and trying to create the right kind of opportunity for all of our employees to be successful. Brilliant. Love it. Well, it sounds like things are going great. I cannot wait to see uh, what you guys do there. It looks like you're going to take the U.S. market by storm here shortly. Um, Hope so. What are this is the last question and then we'll wrap. But what are you uh what are you what are your priorities right now or, or like some of the challenges that you're seeing? Yeah, um I think you know, like many folks, um, you know, high bob is not immune to the macroeconomic situation. I think uh, many of the marketers who are listening today will probably be familiar with the idea that you know fewer buyers right now are in market for solutions, regardless of what you're selling. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, inventory costs for things like digital advertising are going up because there's fewer buyers to go after who are in market, and because your competitors, like you know, they're they're more fiercely competing with you for all of those same buyers and all of that same attention, and it's. More yeah. important than ever before, you know, in a situation like that, not only to to be sensitive to cost and and to make sure they don't spin out of control, but also to think about differentiation. And so, you know, when I when I think about, you know, what are we what are we working on now? I think it's about how do we um, how do we make the right noise in a crowded market? How do we stand out from the crowd? And then how do we focus on, you know, marketing efficiency, not just efficiency of spend, but efficiency as a whole team and, and deliver a really consistent, you know, customer experience and a really consistent message out to the market about who is, who is Hi Bob? You know, what do we do here? Who are we for? Um, that that storytelling aspect, I think, is is really really critical when you are building uh, a marketing engine in a time like we're all sort of experiencing now. Because the things that worked for you before aren't going to be the things that work for you now. The the market has changed a little bit. Uh, yeah. and that's not to say that it won't go back, but 
I think that it's a, it's a great opportunity for us to, you know, build for, for future success right now. Uh, and it's a great opportunity for us to figure out, you know, how, how we best tell the story of Bob and, and how we get more people to your point in the U S market and beyond, you know, worldwide, we're a global company to, to really know who we are and to know that if they are a member of that three M club, then we are the right solution for them. They should not have to settle for something that was built, you know, before many of their employees were born, they should be looking at something that is that like modern and global by design, the way that their companies are modern and global by design. Yep. hundred percent. Well, Sarah, this hour has gone by faster than probably any hour. I'm having so much fun talking to you. Uh, you're just, you're great to talk to. You're incredibly impressive. Hi, Bob is, is lucky to have you. So thank you for coming thank on you the so show. Much. Um, yeah, thank you. And it is time for the lightning round. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm so ready. All right, cool. So if you were to start a side hustle, what side hustle would that be? Um, so I am a culinary school dropout. Uh, I mm. was a person who did not know what they wanted to be when they grew up. So my undergraduate degrees are in history and classical studies, which is uh, dead languages uh, for those of you who, <laughs> don't know, who don't know. Uh, and then I threw all that fancy degree out the window. And I said, I want to go to culinary school because I think I want to make food my career. I'm actually married to an ex-professional chef. Um, so oh, we do nice. a lot of cooking and eating and drinking at my house. And I love it. Um, I learned that I didn't want to do it full-time as a job, but if I were to launch a side hustle, um, it would be, uh, I'm, I'm also gluten-free. So it would be uh, definitely gluten-free private catering uh, because uh, mm. it's something I love feeding people. I love creating that sense of community around a dinner table. And uh, I think it's hard sometimes to find great gluten-free options, even as everybody gets uh, more up to speed on what gluten-free means. So I would uh, I'd definitely sort of dig deep into, into those roots and, and take that passion out for a, for a test drive in the side hustle market. Brilliant. I'd love if you send me some of those gluten-free recipes. <laughs> I'm like 90% gluten-free because of my, my wife is gluten-free. Oh, I'm on it. Um, cool. And question number two is top three reads or books or authors uh, that have influenced you? Okay. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to liberally define author uh, and I'm going to go with uh, content creator and I'm going to, I'm going to be uh, very modern in my approach. And I am Love. going to tell you about um, uh, a podcast that I listen to uh, that has three co-hosts uh, who have all influenced me uh, immensely. The podcast is called, of all things, Kill James Bond, and it is hosted by uh, two trans women and a non-binary person, uh, all based in the UK. Uh, it started off as a um, sort of tongue-in-cheek movie review uh, of the Bond series, but it has morphed into a uh, like a, a, a movie review podcast that focuses on um, how masculinity is presented on film and in culture culture more broadly. Um, I'm going to name these three folks uh, as sort of my uh, influences here, uh, Alice Caldwell, Kevi, Kelly uh, Devon, and Abigail Thorne. Um, they um, they really influenced uh, the way that I think about gender. And actually, they were part of the reason that I um, developed a vocabulary to articulate how I was feeling about my own gender. Uh, listening to them talk about movies, but through the lens of their personal experiences, as being non-binary and trans uh, had a really big impact on me when I was trying to figure out, you know, why was it that I felt different from yeah. other people? And what what is the name that you might put against that? Um, they all have uh, other projects that they
they work on. Uh, Abigail Thorne has a great series on YouTube called Philosophy Tube. If you're interested in that topic, Alice Caldwell Kelly hosts other podcasts and, and Devin does as well. Uh, together, they they are great fun. Uh, huge content warning on uh, you you listening to Kill James Bond. Do not listen at work. Uh, but I think the podcast is very, very funny. And I always learn something. So uh, that would be my recommendation. Awesome. I'm definitely going to check that out. You cannot forget the name of that podcast, Kill James <laughs> Bond. So that should be an easy one. Um, cool. And uh, number three is what do you do to avoid burnout and to help your team avoid burnout? Um, so I am about to go on vacation. Actually, I, I fly out later today. And oh, um, one of the things that I have been talking to my team about is how important it is that paid time off is paid time off. Uh, you don't uh, get paid more if you don't if you take a vacation day and work the whole time. Uh, pro tip from me to you. Um, and uh, I really believe that disconnecting is just as important as the work that we do. Because if you don't fully disconnect, you don't recharge and you don't come back a better version of yourself. So um, uh, one of the things that I do is I've shared broadly my PTO policy, uh, which is that I do not attend meetings while I'm PTO. Uh, I don't proactively check email. I don't proactively check IM or Slack. Um, but if you need to get in touch with me, if there is if there is such a thing as a marketing emergency and one worth happen to you, of course, you can text me, you can call me, you can WhatsApp me, uh, and I will put down my fruity drink and my beach read, and I will absolutely help you with whatever you need. Um, but I think that, that uh, setting that boundary and being really, really clear about what my own policy is has enabled some of my team members to be more clear about what they expect from their teams and uh, how they themselves can enjoy their paid time off. So um, I would say, you know, if you if you have team members and you find that they are joining calls from PTO or they are answering emails on the weekend or when they're supposed to be off, that I would encourage you to be really, really clear about your own boundaries and about the boundaries that you expect them to use, even going so far as to say, hey, if you put that you were going to be off today in Bob and you spent the whole day working, I'm actually canceling that day off. I'm giving that day off back to you because you worked the whole day. So please take that day off at a different time when you feel like you actually can disconnect and make it a priority to disconnect and recharge. Brilliant. I love that. Well, folks, there you have it. That's a wrap. Uh, if you enjoyed this, if you laughed, if you learned anything, drop us a like, drop us a comment, share this with a friend. Uh, Sarah, if you... Well, I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to follow up with you and to learn more about you and or Hi Bob. Where would you direct them to? Sure. Um, HiBob.com uh, is the best way to say hi to Bob uh, and to get in touch with us directly. Um, if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, I am at uh, slash Sarah Liz L-I-Z Reynolds. Um, and if you want to follow me on Twitter and listen to me shout about things like pay equity, inclusive language, and uh, ethics and technology, then you can follow me at Fair Pay Monster, which is my official Twitter. Nice. That's awesome. All right, everybody. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us here today. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at revenuedrivencmo.com. That's revenuedrivencmo.com. And hey, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, Web Mechanics will do 10 to 20 hours of work for you for free. Literally no sales calls, no BS. Just give them a problem and they will put a team to work for you for free for 10 to 20 hours even if you're already a client. 
If you're struggling with demand gen, lead gen, SEO, SEM, Google ads, LinkedIn ads, conversion optimization, if you can't get Facebook or meta ads to work for the life of you, or you can't figure out attribution, Web Mechanics will take a good hard look at whatever problem you give them, whatever programs you put in front of them, and they will give you an objective, informed opinion, plus some advice from 10 to 20 hours of senior level attention. And that's just because you're a listener of this podcast. So I would suggest take them up on this offer. It's ridiculous. Go to revenuedrivencmo.com slash free, fill out the two minute form and you will not regret it. Literally zero downside, unlimited potential for growth. So do yourself a favor, revenuedrivencmo.com slash free, no hyphens, no punctuations. You will be happy about that decision.